everyone. Uh, welcome to American Grassbeds podcast. Today we're talking to Brad Buchanan, who is uh, um, an AGA certified producer and also uh, the president, the vice president of the board of the American Grassbed Association. He's also the CEO of the National Western Center. And Brad and I have had several conversations lately about um, how he has uh, traversed the urban-rural divide. And we recently had a, con a conference at the uh, Western Center, and I was amazed that this wonderful piece of land right in the middle of Denver has been saved from urban development to something very, very, very special. And um, the history goes back, I think, to 1906. Brad, you can fill me in later. But Brad has been with us since uh, 2011. He stepped up to the plate. And he built, built his organ, his uh, his company, and his uh, uh, farm and ranch. And I'm going to let him take it from there, and I'll I'll reach in when I need to and speak up. But Brad, I'd like for you to take it from here. And I'm very very interested. I think our, our listeners would be very interested in this this rural urban divide that you've talked about so so eloquently in the past. And I want to get it get it on tape here. So I'm going to let you take it from here. Got it. Thanks, Carrie. Um, you know, I, I, the National Western Center, I think, is a, it's not an accidental occurrence, right? I mean, we, th this place um, located um, along the South Platte River is here because it was downstream from town. Denver was formed at the confluence of, uh, of Cherry Creek and the South Platte in the 18, late 1850s and, and grew obviously, uh, particularly when rail, there was a rail spur that came down from Cheyenne and connected us to the, to the main um, rail lines and, and then the transcontinental rail line. And, and so Denver you know, has been a boom and bust city. Its history has always been uh, boom and bust, whether it was gold or silver or other metals or, the, the cattle industry. And in the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, the, the stockyards uh, were here. And of course, if you're going to build, you know, stockyards and slaughter facilities, you're going to build it downstream from town. And so right next to the river. And, and the stockyards were built here. And at its peak, um, 1910, 1920, 1930, 40,000 head a day of cattle, sheep, and hogs through, through these yards. I mean, we were feeding uh, the U.S. west of the Mississippi with its protein. So cattle coming in, getting off in the yards, uh, packing house slaughter facilities all around the, this community, and that's many that still are here in this location. So... And, uh, and so looking at my office today, I'm, I'm talking to you from the fourth floor of the Livestock Exchange Building, which was just landmarked by Denver City Council last Monday night, in fact, so it will never go away. Um, this was, these were three buildings. I think the first one was built in 1911, well, basically the bank. So folks came in, uh, it was a cash trade. This building, this four-story building, that's not very big, about 35,000 square feet, has uh, four major vaults in it where uh, the cash was held. 
and and this was literally the exchange the second floor of this building has this wonderful chalkboard that lists you know chicago and st louis and dallas and all the different prices commodity prices around the country uh for, and and so that they could track the markets here so and and obviously Agriculture in Colorado is, you know, was uh, uh, until tourism took it over the number one economic generator for the for the state, and and is still, I believe, number two and a substantial economic generator. Um, so that that is, you know, why we're here, and I'll I'll talk a little bit more about that. But I think it's important also to look at at the configuration of the state. I. I spent five years as the planning director for the city and county of Denver. My background is actually architecture. So how I got to, from architecture to ranching and the National Western Center is a, 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 different, a different discussion, but a, a fun path. But I spent five years from 2013 to 2018, some of the fastest growing years in uh, Denver's history, uh, working on the short, midterm and long range planning for the city. And, uh, helping to manage the building department and planning process and zoning and all those kinds of things. And it really gave me an opportunity to see what a fast growing city uh, looks like, what the, what the opportunities are and what the challenges are as well. You know, I think you have to look at the state of Colorado and, and Denver as its, its big city. Um, I was the planning director for the city of Denver on the mayor's cabinet and was living on, and my family was operating, and still is our our ranch, our family ranch, Flying Bar Ranch. Uh, I don't know very many major U.S. cities where you have that sort of adjacency, that proximity from the most intense urban experience to the to a to a very much classic rural farming and ranching experience. Um, it is. 45 minutes from the front gate of our ranch to where I am sitting right now. That's an incredible um, uh, asset that our our city has. It it also exacerbates and, and presents the greatest challenge because the urban and rural experiences are so close to each other. Now, a lot of folks use the phrase urban rural disconnect. I prefer to take a more glass half full phrase and say mm -hmm. continuum. Uh, because from a land use perspective, that's what this is. It's a it's a series of transects from, you know, you think of the most dense high-rise urban experience right downtown to sort of the exurban communities and smaller uh, commercial districts along South Broadway or or um, uh, in Lohi or Highlands down to um, uh, some of the suburban, uh, from urban to exurban to suburban locations, Greenwood Village, Highlands Ranch, and, and, and some of those more what you might call urban sprawl locations, lots of packed, closely situated, single family house and lots of rooftops with um, that are mostly vehicular um, oriented, more uh, car oriented than pedestrian oriented like downtown. But then it pretty quickly moves to this sort of semi-rural place where you have pockets of residential that may have um, uh, started to develop uh, and then quickly into um, true farm and ranch communities. I-70, which is our main east-west <laughs> thoroughfare that re replaced Highway 40 or, or 36 um, 
east-west is Colfax Avenue, the longest street in America, runs all the way out to uh, and into uh, Bennett and Strasburg. But those little towns were, they were, they were stops along the, the highway, right? They all had a gas station, they all had a little hotel, motel, and they all had, uh, and that's where the, 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 the grain bins were. That's where the, the silos are located and, and where the farmers were dropping off and storing all their wheat and corn along those rail lines. Um, but now they've become commuter communities. I mean, Strasburg, Colorado, where our ranch is located, has had a lot of housing in it because it's less than an hour from downtown Denver. And so as a planning director working, working on the planning for the city, and as somebody who lived in Strasbourg and has watched this evolution occur, it has been absolutely fascinating to see what's working and what's not working. One thing that's definitely not working is that cities and jurisdictions and regulatory um, groups think of their experience very insularly. They think about their city, their county, their town at it within its boundaries. Um, and that's just not how people experience places. It's not how they experience their place. It's not how they experience their home. Um, it's not how they think about shopping. It's not how they think about entertainment. It's not how they think about what they're going to do with their leisure time. It's not how they think about how they're going to spend time with their families. We, we don't know when we drive across those man-made, made-up, dashed, black, dotted lines that divide towns and cities and counties from each other. And, and that is um, that continuum, both in terms of land use, which is really how we, you know, it's, it's the physical manifestation of what we think, right? And what we want and what mm -hmm. we can afford. Um, that, that land use um, informs, and then our culture informs the, how we, how we be, how we are in that, in that space and in that, in that, in within those transects. Um, in 2014, the folks at Mile High TEDx called me and said, we, we think you're a weird guy. You're a planning director and you're a cattle. That's ridiculous to us. We think that there must be some method in your madness. And I'll save you all from the 13 minutes of my TED talk and, and tell you what, what it was. And it, it was really about what the urban and rural places have to share with each other and what they have to learn from each other. And so I, I really, I don't understand honestly why there is a tension there um, other than the fact they don't understand each other and they make decisions that affect each other without understanding each other's lives. And if, and if anything, my crazy life of, you know, cattle and a very urban, another side of the coin of my life being this very urban existence, has shown me the places that are just tragedies. They're tragedies when they don't un, they don't consider each other enough to know that the whole is truly greater than the sum of its parts. And um, you know, I I've gotten to know and have many relations. We've been in Strasbourg now for more than fifteen years and gotten to know and very dear friends and, and relationships there. Um, you know, some of the hardest working people I've ever met in my life. Um, and and folks who uh, care about the commu their community, care about each other, but in very different ways than folks care about each other in the city. 
um, in the city, there's lots of communication and everybody knows what each, each other is doing, but it's, it's more of a competition than in the rural community, which it's, it's just more of an authentic sharing. That is something the city could, could learn uh, from the rural place. Rural communities can learn from the city in terms of what the assets are, what the technology is, what the science is, um, and, 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 and what the innovations and revelations that are happening around food production and around our planet and around land use and around soil health and around diversity and equity, all these things that the, that the urban place is, is quickly evolving along, um, along those um, um, paradigm shifting lines while rural places uh, less, less quickly. Some of that's, again, is infrastructure, right? Rural places don't have the, the technology, the, literally the bandwidth, the, you know, the fiber optic bandwidth to provide what the urban place takes very much for granted is 5G cell service that your portable handheld computer can access anything in the world in a, in a second. Uh, in the rural place, it's more difficult, particularly if you're sitting on a tractor or, in, or on the back of a horse or an ATV. Um, and so there, there is a, the urban place I see is, is evolving very, very quickly um, in the rural place, not as much, particularly as you get farther east, you know, our ranch less than an hour from Denver, you go even just an hour more and it's another transect. It's a, it's a much more and completely uh, rural experience. I'll now sort of circle back to, to your question about the National Western Center. Um, when uh, I told the mayor that I, I was not going to stick around for a third term, I had been in the public sector for five years after many years in the private sector, and and uh, had had um, it was a, it was a great great experience and a great job. It was a really hard job, and five years was enough. And I was going to uh, go do something else. Uh, the mayor talked to me about the National Western Center. It was a project that I knew a lot about because when I was playing director, I had been uh, one of the folks at the table when the, the, the project was conceived and, and planned. So the opportunity to actually implement uh, a project that I had uh, had the privilege of sitting around the table and thinking big thoughts about um, in uh, the mid um, in 2015, 2014, 15, 16 was really an opportunity I couldn't pass up. Uh, additionally, for me personally, I'll just add that I had taken a lot of shit for being an urbanist and working in downtown Denver and being a proponent for height and density around transit, creating more density in the urban place, and then getting in my truck and driving out to a big ranch on the Eastern Plains of Colorado. Um, folks uh, thought that was a little disingenuous. And I understand that perspective, but I also think that, um, uh, uh, and, and I have joked that I think every planning director in the country should uh, live on a grass, fed grass finished cattle ranch and, and have to understand what's at stake, right? Um, um, now to the National Western Center for a second time. Um, the National Western Center, in my estimation, aside being a place where I can actually come out of the closet that I'm, a, I'm an urbanist and a cattle rancher at the same time and be both of those things and have those things be accepted and actually appreciated in a job like this, is the National Western Center is that place to convene. The National Western Stock Show has been here since 1906. They had their first one in a tent down by the river next to the yards. 
and uh, and they had you know a, a, a cattle show and Colorado State University won it. In fact, they won it the first three years, CSU won that because they had their ag school and those folks knew amazing technology and they knew the science and they knew about nutrition and, and they knew how to make the fattest cattle in the state and they won it the first three years. The story goes that I think it was the fourth year that CSU was politely asked not to compete because they were running, <laughs> they were running the, 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 the ribbon table and uh, um, some other folks wanted to crack at it. CSU eventually did come back in to uh, when the competition field was a little more level years later. Um, and, and Colorado State University is one of the three founding partners of the National Western Center. So the stock show that was here, started in that tent, was an annual event every year since, and has grown and grown and grown. Um, uh, it averages uh, something over 700,000 people uh, a year. In January of 2023, uh, our, our next stock show, uh, it, we will set an attendance record. The, the um, registrations that the stock show folks are getting in right now are well ahead of past performance. And, Post-COVID, a lot of folks are looking forward to coming back to the stock show. So we expect a huge year. So that's been going on since 1906. But stock shows had a challenging business model. Uh, the stock show is 16 days in January, this coming year, January 7th to the 22nd, 2023 here in the National Western Center. We will be the forever home of the stock show. We have a 100-year lease. Um, uh, and uh, stock show takes their 16 days of revenue, which they do very well in those 16 days with all those hundreds of thousands of folks going up. And then, uh, but they have to pay for uh, 365 days mm -hmm. of uh, expenses. And it's been a challenging business model for them. So in 2012, 2013, they were being uh, pursued by a development group uh, that was going to put up a large uh, hotel and conference center called the, Gay the Gaylord, which got built um, and is there very large facility and they wanted the stock show to be next door to them uh and that was attractive to them they were it was easier right i mean that's open ground out there that those are wheat fields and corn fields and they could move out there next to the airport there are some very attractive things about that which is an example of how the the rural experience gets kicked out of the urban place not not because it's a cultural thing because it's just a it's a it's it's easier it's easier to drive a one-ton pickup truck with a 40 foot, you know, gooseneck trailer behind you out in the country than it is parking it downtown. But uh, city leaders um, in 2013, 2014 said, not on our watch. There are too many, there's too much at stake. The stock show itself is this incredible convening of the urban and rural place, 700 plus thousand people coming together, totally interested and excited about learning from each other, um, uh, very open to each other, non-judgmental, this incredible sharing that occurs for 16 days in January. The National Western Center is to create that the other 11 months of the year. And we do that through things like you just mentioned, Carrie, the Regenerate Conference that was here in November 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. Uh, very successful, over 500 people from all over the, uh, North America coming together to talk about sustainable and regenerative uh, agriculture and, uh, and, and share best practices. Um, that's what this place is all about, whether it is uh, entertainment events, large concert events, whether it is um, the uh, 
mission-based programming that we are supporting by hosting and, and providing uh, the, the venue for great organizations like the American Grassfoot Association, HMI, and, and Covera to do the Regenerate Conference, or whether it's the hundreds and hundreds of experiences a year that Colorado State University is putting on, or whether it's the programs that education programs at the Western Stock Show Association, and they're, uh, that is the nonprofit that runs the National Western Stock Show puts on. But uh, um, we, haven't, we haven't found another place like it anywhere else in the world. I mean, we can find pieces and parts of what the National Western Center is, but we've not been able to find any place like it. It's been, it's been a very hard project. It's a 240 acre redevelopment of this of the National Western Campus, right on the edge uh, in the heart of Denver, but right on the edge of the Central Business District. We have a, a commuter rail uh, platform right here on the edge of the campus. We are within uh, you know hundreds of feet and or a half a mile of both I-70 and I-25, which is our main north north south arterial uh, uh, federal highway. So easy in, easy out, uh, and we have worked around and fought through the challenges of keeping a rural use like this and a rural experience like this in the heart of our city. And it is it is very, very challenging. Our our boardroom table is 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 has to work through all of those challenges. We have representatives from the stock show. We have representatives from the city, Colorado State University, and a number of other uh, board members, including two community members from the Global Luria Swansea community. You know, GES, shorthand for Global Luria Swansea um, community, they've, you know, they've been here for over 100 years. And these are these are immigrant populations that were attracted to the to the jobs in the stockyards, those in heavy industrial uses that came right after that, smelter plants for steel strengthening, um, those jobs drew and attracted uh, immigrant populations who came to Denver um, and then and didn't leave. But they've been in a place, one, we're in the bottoms, right? Water flows downhill, we're in the bottoms of the city. Uh, every city has that. It, much of it has been in the floodplain. Those repairs and improvements are happening, including much of our campus that through this project has been lifted out of the floodplain. River redevelopment, cleaning soils, um, healing soils, cleaning the air, cleaning the water, all those things to right wrongs uh, that we did to these communities and to this landscape um, in the early 1900s with an industrial revolution and agricultural revolution mm -hmm. that happened on, on this in, in this very location. So um, it's very exciting to be a part of and it's been, it was so great to have Regenerate here. I, it just, it literally brought me to tears that that we, it was such that that moment was such a realization of, you know, more than a decade of work um, of a lot of folks who care about everything uh, I've been talking about that, that, that I can't think, and I can't think of anything more important. I, I can't, when it comes to, you know, future of the planet in terms of climate change, in terms of soil health, and choose how we're going to feed, you know, 10 billion people in 2050 on this planet in a sustainable, regenerative way. And how we do that in a way that lifts and builds capacity for these under in these underserved communities. Uh, I just can't think of anything more important to work on. Well, I I'm gonna, you know, I I was born in Denver and it was a much smaller town back then. And um, my parents made darn sure that I was aware of my birthplace and the the specialness of it. 
And when my dad came to visit me in the 90s and hadn't been here in many years, and he said, when I told him where we bought our house, he said, well, didn't that used to be the dump? And it was. It's near Cherry Creek. So <laughs> yeah. I was fascinated with, and this, this is something that I've, I've been talking about, is that the iconic Western National Western Center would be to have developed it into housing or shopping malls or something else would be, and this is this is a far reach, would be taking Central Park, which Olmstead saw many years ago, and developing it. Or the people in, in San Antonio have taken the river walk, which was desecrated, and bringing it back. And I think we're finally realizing the importance of these iconic places. And for what we saw when we had our conference there was a place to convene, as you you so eloquently put, but you also have places to learn with the, with the Spur Campus, with CSU, yeah. and with the other buildings that are going to be built, and then the ability to have a livestock show so close to Denver is just amazing. That just doesn't happen. I mean, you, it, 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 with the Western Stock Show that comes in, that's whoever decided to say, no, this isn't going to be developed, we're going to keep it this way, um, deserves kudos and accolades long beyond and I'm I'm so proud that we were one of the first people that came into that and of course it's it's I mentioned to someone years a couple of years ago when we were talking about this that it's it's um out of the ashes rises of phoenix and the livestock building where we had a meeting is just amazing and, and to maintain that sense of history and to have kids and and future generations coming into that center that that you all are restoring and being very very confident about is is really compelling for me and having you as seeing that rural urban divide and and having grown up watching so many of these iconic things that people just didn't realize they're worth for society being bulldozed you know um so i'm i'm very proud of, of what you all have done i was I, we were very thrilled to have our conference there but having having you and watching you grow your ranch and watching what you've done personally and then bringing that into the Western Center. And I think that you're saving part of, you're saving parts of land in, in the in the rural development too, because that that could obviously be the houses and and uh, yep. condos and and yep. I yep. I always say fast food malls. <laughs> so yeah. No, I, I just I, I think that bringing that part of it in that we've saved something so iconic and you know there's it, it's just i'm sure that was horribly uh difficult in order of financially for the city yeah it, it really was a it was a moonshot moment for the city there's no mm -hmm. question about it because they didn't know how how they were going to get there but they knew what they had to do and a lot of the credit there were a lot of people of course sitting around those tables, but some of the leaders, um, uh, Mayor Hancock, for sure, he came in office in 2011. It's been a staunch supporter of the National Western Center from mm -hmm. the start, really was the political voice that had to say, you know, not on my watch. Um, folks from the stock show like Pat Grant and Doug Jones and Paul Andrews and Ron Williams and mm -hmm. some of those leaders on their board that were being wooed away and you know knew this was not the easy path for them uh, but to but 
but their leadership making the choice that we 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 do see the value in in being here and making that decision. It was a uh, it was a moonshot moment, and folks folks said we, we've got to we've got to keep this here. It's too important, and we'll we'll do the the heavy lifting. And it is it's heavy lifting. It makes everything harder, but it makes it so much better and so much richer and so much more authentic and relevant in, at every step of the way. When we solve a problem here, um, we, we try to do it the, the best way we can. Well, you mentioned the ranch, and we've talked a lot about the Western Center. We've talked a lot about the fact that you do have a ranch in Strasburg, and I want to um, concentrate a little bit on your business and how it's grown and what you're doing and, and the success and the failures, and, and I am just you and I met, I think, in 2011. You said, I want to do this. And, and you're one of those people, like my friend Will Harris says, a lot of people say, ready, aim. And he says, I say, ready, aim, fire. And yeah. you did that too. So I want you to, to uh, talk a little bit about the Flying D-Bar and how that came to be and how it's doing today. Yeah, it's been, uh, you know, I call us accidental ranchers because we bought, I was training and competing with field trial retrievers <laughs> back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And we bought this, what had been a hundred year old cattle operation out in Strasburg, started out 520 acres and we've grown it over the years. It's about 5,000 acres now. And uh, um, uh, we don't own all that. We lease a good chunk of that. But um, uh, we, from my planning for perspective and, and with the priority around sustainability, it was a quick decision that um, after we sort of answered the question, wow, what do we do with all this green stuff that's growing out here? And obviously cattle were the answer. And then when we really dug into it, thinking about how we were, the system we were gonna use to, to produce those results, grass fed and grass finished was a, clearly the direction we went to. We, we honestly didn't know anything about it. I mean, I'm an architect and a planner. Um, I, my agriculture experience, sum total was uh, stacking hay bales um, on the back of a hay wagon in high school in Ohio. And uh, so I didn't come at this know what we were doing. Uh, I was blessed with a relationship, a guy named Charles Robbins, who, who we bought the ranch from, who I think thought I was just gonna subdivide the place or something. And when he saw that I was really intrigued and interested mm -hmm. would do the work, he started coming out on Saturdays. And so we ended up, used to pick me up on Saturday mornings and say, let's go get coffee. And we'd go get coffee at a cattle auction. And because uh, he wanted me to put cows back on his place, and uh, eventually, um, after four or five tr coffee trips, I I was in an auction, and I had learned enough to know there was decent buys in it that day. And I bought twenty pregnant mama cows, and shortly thereafter, we had forty-four head on the place. That first year, and this is you know ranching angels, um, we had those twenty-two pregnant mamas they all just spit out those calves. I mean, we didn't touch a thing. <laughs> Good thing, because we didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. Uh, we didn't have to pull one of them. And I'm like, what's this big deal about calving? How's it, <laughs> what's what's all the ruckus about? Yeah. And uh, so we uh, kept some of those heifers and grew the herd, bought some more cows and and then started selling uh, beef to our friends, you know, did one slaughter a year, eventually grew that to two slaughters a year, then four. Um, eventually, my wife and I, we just couldn't do it anymore. My son was getting a little older. He started to help some. So we start, we, we hired some help um, and got uh, kind of a, had a, went through a series of kind of um, interns to uh, ranch hands to a ranch manager. And 
now there's a, a full-time team of six, uh, not including myself out there. And we built an online store um, and I think started in maybe 2012 or 13. And we've learned a lot about that. We built it, built all that ourselves. We, we now uh, slaughter every week and we do a lot of sales by the cut, but we also do about three quarters of our businesses, eight quarters, halves and holes. Mm -hmm. And we're close enough to Denver that we get to, we get to hang out with our customers and they're just some of the most wonderful folks that I get to see on Saturday mornings when we're putting boxes of beef in their cars. My son, I'm, I, I will tell you one of my most proud uh, accomplishments and moments in, in my entire life is that on August 1st, um, this past summer, my son became um, biz my business partner uh, and, and not, he owns 25% of the ranch now. And uh, that is not easy to do in for a one to, to have a startup operation work um, and to two, have it work well enough that a smart kid with a degree in economics from Kansas State and a degree in, uh, in ag economics and animal health from K-State um, is interested enough to want to come in. Yeah. So I, I'm proud that we have produced, we are now a second generation <laughs> ranching operation. It can be done. It has been hard. It has been very hard. And uh, this is not for the faint of heart, but uh but worth every single struggle in the moments we get to have out there at the ranch, mm -hmm. the time we spend as a family, the conversations that we have with our customers that are the blending. Those are the real moments where that urban rural connection happens is in those conversations. We are, we are making, you know, raising and processing and cutting and wrapping and shipping and handing over and providing cooking instructions to those urban folks who don't know where their food comes from. So we're that that that's where this happens in every single conversation and every single relationship. So whether it's at the National Western Center where we're doing it at scale, or whether on Saturday mornings it's me putting a box in the trunk of somebody's car and back to town, um, that's how this work happens. And I I just can't think of anything more powerful or important to be working on. And I, I hope everybody is. I hope everyone as consumers are, are, will take the time to figure out what they are putting in their bodies. Um, we think about that with medication. We think about that with exercise, but then we'll go to the grocery and just grab something that's got a picture of a green leaf on it and eat it and consume it. Um, there, you know, there's, there's, it's like, it's like drugs. It's food, foods are food are good drugs. And, uh, uh, we need to be thinking about uh, what we do, where it comes from, what the what the business and social um, bargain is that we're making with every purchase we make and every forkful of food that we consume. Uh, what are we supporting? What are we deteriorating mm -hmm. uh, by making those choices? You know, I've had the opportunity to be out at Durant several times for field days that we used to have in the, and hopefully we'll have again in the future. We've just all been so darn busy. But um, there's several things that, that we had National Resource Conservation Service and also Alan Savory spent the day at your ranch one day. Yep. And um, it was it was pretty compelling to see Alan out at your ranch because it's beautiful. And, and you know, if you ever do field days again, sign me up. Yeah. And, the other bridge, and uh, uh, we had the head of the Humane Society out at your ranch. Yep. And when we were leaving, one thing he said was that was the first time he had ever been on a farm that was humane. 
Yeah. And that's high praise. Yeah. And um, we need to bring those people to more out to the ranches so they understand what they're seeing. You know, and it was uh, it was really great to have him say that and to see that he was he was um, pretty taken aback by the beauty and the pristineness of, of what you were doing. Yeah, we 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 hold a very high bar for animal welfare. Uh, we are people, people, but we are animal people. And uh, yeah. my wife, Margaret, in particular, is a is a cow whisperer, and they they get great care. And we have hundreds of cattle on our ranch today. And I was just uh, this morning I was talking uh, with my son and and a couple of the ranch hands. It's been over eight months since we have doctored a single animal out there. Um, that does not happen by accident. Um, and uh, so we we take care of them. They have a they live a they live a cow's life. They have one bad day and it ain't that bad. If you can sign me up for that on my 94th birthday, I'd go where they go. Yeah. We we treat them better than we treat treat each other sometimes in our in our at the end. But uh, um, uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a great life and. Um, one that we one that we are, are happy to be able to continue into the next generation. Should I bring up the, the honey honey sure. day? Yeah, absolutely. So every uh, every Labor Day weekend on the Saturday of Labor Day weekend, we do something called Honey Fest. I've been a beekeeper for oh boy, long time, thirty five years plus, and uh, I, I love working with the bees. And um, we extract our honey, and customers and friends come out, and and we. Uh, this is the old, uh, you know, you have to paint the, you have to whitewash the fence and you turn it into a party and get friends to help you whitewash. Yeah, this is, we bring the friends out so they can help us extract the honey and bottle the honey and everybody takes home honey and we throw something on the grill and cook some brisket. Sometimes we have bluegrass band and um, it's a great, it's a, another way to get a lot of city folks out to the ranch. Can you buy the honey anywhere? Um, you can, it usually, it's there, for, it's usually on our online store uh, for a short period of time after Labor Day. I think we're sold out right now. <laughs> it doesn't last very long. You know, we make, I think we made 300 pounds of honey or something like that this year. So it's not yeah. a big operation. Did I hear that you're adding some some hogs or some pork into your mix? We did. we did. Our customers have been asking us for years, where can we get great pork? Where can we get good poultry. Um, we haven't got a solution on the on the poultry yet, but uh, we partnered up with a family operation down in Yuma. Guys that do it right, uh, they're not pasture raised, but they, um, they, they do some very smart, responsible things around feed and, and do getting, getting them out on grass and um, very much focused on animal welfare. Uh, I think they do the best of anybody we've seen that's, you know, close to us. Mm -hmm. And um, so we are, uh, and they don't have any background nor interest in doing a direct to consumer thing, but um, are, we're able to pay them a chunk more than they would get going to the, to the sale barn or selling them um, wholesale. So they do better and it allows us to connect our our customers to a, a pork product that we're very confident and and um, uh, believe in, and so that's that's been successful. That and and that's probably that's one of the ways we'll grow our organization, right? And we'll grow the ranch is by um, calling it a middleman sounds derogatory, but if we can represent to our customers and consumers and our who become friends that this is what we would eat. Um, I think we're helping that that out and give them give them an option other than a fully 
you know, industrial King Supers version of, of, a, of a pork chop. Well, I think that's very important in the rural communities that I grew up in. Um, everybody knew everybody and we all bought from each other and, and yeah. somebody had chickens and somebody had this and somebody had that and somebody had, and there were people as you've grown and as you are doing now, you you are the conduit for those people to get their their, their products to market. Because yep. um, in, the, in, the, in the terms of some people, some people don't need to be marketing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. But uh, anyway, we're going to, I'm going to not take any more of your time because I've taken an hour so far. But right. uh, I think, and I, I keep impressing this, is that the, the saving of the Western Center, the National Western Complex in, the, in downtown Denver, where people can go and learn and with what you're doing there is paramount to the, the survival of our city as, as it should be. And like you said, I mentioned Central Park, and that's that's huge. Uh, Santa, uh, San Antonio and other big cities that have realized their worth and their history. So you should be very proud of yourself. Well, it's it is uh, very much a privilege to be able to be at the table for this process because it's it is a it's a special experience, and I I feel my I count myself very fortunate to to have the opportunity. Uh, and the trust from the partners to, to get to play a role in it. So thanks.